In this episode, we discuss the exuberantly punctuated A Talking Cat? everyone and welcome to the flop house i'm dan mccoy hey welcome to the flop house i'm Stuart wellington you've been suitably welcome to the flop house i'm elliot kalen the rude one of the bunch mm-hmm. full of tood full of tood and chicken so you're gonna be the bad boy today elliot. oh yeah i'm the original bad boy that ladies love uh dan you want to be what the young cute one sure okay i'll Does be the, the paul mccartney of the group okay and that makes me like the kind of Artsy one? Mm-hmm. What, the one that's good at math? What? Yeah, yeah, you're the artsy mathlete. Yeah. You're regular. I mean, they're not uh, mutually exclusive. You're, I would... the, you're the physics genius. Yeah. That's the other archetype. There, yeah, yeah, every boy band has the bad boy, the cute one, and the physics genius. Um, so this is number... <laughs> Who can forget? Just like the Beatles. The, the core group, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, <laughs> and, Stephen and, Hawking. and Stephen Hawking. And young Stevie Hawking. <laughs> Uh, I want to hold your hand. That's All right. a well, great. That's I'm glad. <laughs> I was that offensive. That's how he talks. He's a computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a computer. <laughs> he's a computer that uses a mannequin to pretend he's a person. <laughs> he's, we all know the truth behind Stephen Hawking. Let's not fool ourselves. Blue. Yeah. No, uh, he's very blue. He's sad because he can never love being a computer. He'd like to hold your hand, as Elliot just what said. Is exactly. Love. So, baby, um, don't hurt me. <laughs> Don't hurt me no more. I didn't know that was one of his. That was a Beatles song? (laughs) That was was one of the songs that the Beatles wrote but forced someone else. Okay. Like that one for uh, the Mamas and Papas. forced someone else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. They forced someone someone else to watch a movie like we did tonight. Oh, boy. What is is this podcast about, Dan? This is a podcast (laughs) where we watch a bad movie and we talk about it. This is... Number two in Small Timber. Now, there was some confusion. No, 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 no. Small Vember. <laughs> there was some confusion. <laughs> there was some confusion, whether it was Small Timber or Small Vember, and it could be uh, enhanced by my stupid mouth. <laughs> your mouth is quite dumb. <laughs> but the idea... where's, where's your mouth's degree from? <laughs> it's from Case Western. Exactly. <laughs> so, no, but the very idea of a Small Vember is absurd on its face. <laughs> Clearly... Uh, there was a small timber. wonder. Why can't there be a small vember? No, exactly. Got, That's the month we watch small wonder. You've got <laughs> small timber. But only in that month. Dan, there was small soldiers. And that's crazy. <laughs> Below a certain height, a soldier's effectiveness is nil. <laughs> How can there not, not be a small Not according to that movie. They took on Phil Hartman. They took on Kirsten Dunst. They took on a lot of people. <laughs> they took on Phil Hartman and Kirsten. Yeah, I guess they did. They're the bad guys. So, no. Um, spoiler alert. So, small timber. Small vember. Obviously. Followed by... Shocktober, followed by November, which means there's no theme in November. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, but in... Uh, we only watch Dr. No. <laughs> in Small Timber, we watch smaller movers here at the Flophouse. We watch and no good the deed. smallest Boom. movie. Boom. Boom. No good deed's a movie. No what? <laughs> anyway. No good deed. The movie where Idris Elba plays uh, a twist, I think. Yeah, that's... it's got some kind of shocking twist that I don't know what it is. So Small Vember is when we watch low-budget movies yeah. made for smaller by <laughs> small people. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like The Terror of Tiny Town? Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> the only all-midget western. Uh, so last episode we watched God's Not Dead. Right. 
and it which turned had out all the acting chops was of, not dead. of Kevin Sorbo, which was, the, I mean, depending on which it. critics you ask, uh, not a flop really at all. I mean, mm. it was a huge financial success. Oh yeah, in the if you ask God, he says it was the best movie ever, mm-hmm. and a huge critical success, I assume, among. I don't know, like Church Bolton. Yeah, that the, was the surprising thing. There was a, there was a surprising number of critical church uh, reviews of it. Yeah, because it was not Christian enough and not a good movie. That I feel, but I saw the someone posted on the Flophouse Facebook page, like reviews. Join it today. That were uh, negative about it because the argument that the kid makes acknowledges the fact of the Big Bang. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, and evolution. Mm-hmm. So that was not Christian enough. Even that though it was an But today Christian we're watching film. a different small movie. Yep. It was called A Talking Cat? <laughs> a <laughs> Talking Cat? A Talking Cat, huh? Who had heard of such a thing? Because here's the, the title is A Talking Cat, <laughs> exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. I so, suppose. That's, that's an, <laughs> I don't know why your version of the title is so Jewish, Stuart. That's, that's my Charlie Rango impression. <laughs> Charlie Rango? Rango? <laughs> I guess I'm a lizard cowboy. <laughs> I'm a lizard cowboy that represents Harlem in Congress. Charlie Rango. Not to be confused with Charlie Ragu, the congressman who is a spaghetti sauce. Uh, Sounds so. a little bit like Sylvester Stallone all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, well, he's also got uh, spaghetti sauce in his veins, you know. Spaghetti so sauce. That's <laughs> a talking cat with an interrobang. Inter- with an extra bang. So in Tarot Bang, is that a porn movie about punctuation? <laughs> like yep. the copy editors are, are checking the newspaper articles late at night, and mm. one thing leads to another. Yeah. Uh, well, if there was a pornographic movie, it could have been shot on the set of A, a Talking, Talking Cat. Because here's the thing. A Talking Cat is a movie that, let's just say right at the top, every scene feels like it risks being <laughs> about to turn into a porno scene, even the ones between family members. There's just this weird... Porn th- tone to the yeah. whole thing, and maybe it's just the awkwardness of the acting and the amateurishness of the shooting of the film. Well, but we can't spells out porn. We can't ignore the fact that the director David DeCocteau, who here was uh, <laughs> DeCocteau, I think it is DeCocteau. Yeah, he directed yeah. Uh, Blood of a Poet, <laughs> Orpheus. He was uh, what, what was the uh, nom de plume? He was uh, he know, directed under the name Mary Crawford. Yeah, but uh, okay. this director had directed a bunch of softcore films, mostly gay softcore films. He did some straight stuff well, earlier is, in his career. But that's not... He like the straight story? He, well, he's not just a porn director. He's a sleaze director. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I want to say about this movie is that it was made by a... This is an incredibly amateurish movie that was made by a bunch of actual professionals. Like the director, who's also the guy he's behind... He made like 150 movies. He made Sorority Babes in the Slime Bowl, Slimeball Bowl-O-Rama. He made Test Tube Teens from the year 2000. Beach Babes from Beyond. A lot of movies Free Hysteria from. 3. He made Puppet Ma- Retro Puppet Master, the movie that readers of The Disaster Artist may re- recognize as starring room star Greg Sestero. But like, aside from him, the two main <clears throat> adult leads in this were played by yeah. one of the former child stars of uh, was a it? Family, a family Affair, the TV show, and also uh, an actress who was it, who, uh, Kristen DeBell, who was Dan was very excited to find was the star of the of Alice in Wonderland, an X-rated musical comedy from the seventies. Yeah. But she was also in Meatballs. She was in you know actual movies. She yeah, she's had a long hand. Uh, uh, if me, you wait, pardon was me, me, straight career. 
Did Meatballs have? Was that the one with the alien, or was that Meatballs two? No, that was like two? Meatballs four. That was like three years. Yeah, that was uh, with uh, one it, of the Corey. I think it happens later on. Then also, and the music, which we re- noticed was incredibly terrible, was d- composed supposedly by the same, according to the credits, by the same guy who did the music for the Friday the Thirteenth series. Holy shit! Like he's done a ton of movies, Swamp Thing. Mm. I can't believe that because it all sounds like library music. It all sounds like MIDI library music. Some of which is like sound alikes for one other things. J- one of Stewart's favorite movies, Wishmaster, he did the score That's for. easily one of my favorite movies. <laughs> there's, there's one piece of music in there that is clearly just, it's a small world after all, tuned down like a step or two. Yeah, just for public <laughs> domain purposes. I think this is a lot of people putting in as little time as possible, and no one well, put in less time. Eric Roberts. This big name star, Eric <laughs> Roberts. Titular talking cat. So the talking cat, the on, talking screen, cat? on screen, the talking cat is played by, as the credits say, special guest star, Squeaky. <laughs> Squeaky. He's a cat named Squeaky who's playing a cat named Duffy. His, special guest star. His voice is... He's <laughs> on loan from what? From, from his owner. <laughs> yeah, from the old lady that. who lives down the yeah, street. Yeah, he's normally star- starring in sitting around and cleaning himself. <laughs> everybody, the star of the star of Night Court, Squeaky, everybody. <laughs> we were very lucky to get... Look, you normally only see him in the litter box, <laughs> Squeaky. Uh, but he's voiced by Eric Roberts, who is a big name star. He was also in a flop house film before the Steam big Experiment. Big name star in the children's uh, movie universe. Uh, but he does the voice of the cat in a way that has been described, I think, by others as a man sitting in the bathroom on the phone, <laughs> doing a first cold read of the script and occasionally just going off and doing whatever he wants. Yeah, he doesn't seem to necessarily. I mean, if the script didn't say it expressly several times, I don't think that he would know that he was voicing a talking cat. No, but luckily the character points out to us, the audience, and to every single character, I'm a talking cat. <laughs> with with every line he reads, you can imagine the bathrobe he's wearing, <laughs> the like reading glasses lazily sliding down his nose. The peanut butter and jelly sandwich he's preparing. You can almost hear the television that's on in the background <laughs> that he's watching while he does this does his recording. Like you can almost, like you can almost see the board game he's playing with. I assume a nephew. Probably does this. I, I, I imagine if it's Mouse Roberts because he's trying to get into character. You can hear the wind wash, rush by the car window as he drives somewhere else. He's, he's but, reading the options in the Leisure Suit Larry computer game he's playing. <laughs> Wow, he's just now getting around to playing Leisure he Suit lo- no, Eric just- Roberts, it's his like 10th playthrough. <laughs> he, he loves those I games. like it because it's dirty, but not too dirty. He's like, look, someday I don't want to use... I don't want to use a strategy guide. I'm going to unlock all the boobs myself. As long as there's a set of boobs I haven't seen in this game, I'm going to keep playing it. Thank you, Sierra Software. Oh, Sierra, what happened to you? <laughs> Roberta Williams, whither, whither art thou? <laughs> Uh, which may bring the question, what happened to Sierra? Why is there not like a, an Xbox or PlayStation 4 Leisure Suit Larry? Like uh, LucasArts still makes games. No, they right? shut LucasArts down. Yeah, they shut LucasArts yeah. down. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, what? Sorry, Dan. Sorry, this is not That is like the one out. game oh company you can oh name. <laughs> oh, my God. No more no <laughs> more Maniac Mansion games. No more Grim Fandango. Full Throttle 2. Sorry, it's not happening. But Monkey Island, right? Uh, I'm sorry. Monkey Island was bombed. <laughs> <laughs> it's been used as a nuke testing range. All the monkeys are dead. Anyway, um, so, so anyway, there a talking was a cat, cat. Who talked or so something. So this movie is about 
so this this is the story of a bunch of stock footage of a forest, <laughs> which, and also a beach, and also the exterior of a house that is intercut with scenes involving a talking cat. Now these are all supposed to be within walking distance of each other, but it appears to be Hawaii, the Pacific Northwest, and the coast and of southern, California. And southern California. Yeah. Now here's the thing. The movie never actually suggests that these places are where this movie's taking place. <laughs> it merely does... It could be anywhere. It's a real Kuleshov experiment <laughs> where it just presents you with a location and then cuts to a scene and it forces you, the viewer, to make the choice that this is where the scene is taking place. We're as complicit in the shitty filmmaking of this movie That's as anybody. True. So let's It's talk a real to- indictment. <laughs> <laughs> what he's doing here is like, really calling uh, into question the whole artifice of film. Yeah. For if we can't trust a talking cat to tell us the truth, who can we trust? Mm-hmm. The slick Hollywood slicksters? It's like a Michael Hanukkah movie. Yeah, Michael Hanukkah. The, there are eight <laughs> nights of Michael Hanukkah. Well, there was Funny Games, Funny Games 2. They, they thought there was funnier only... Funnier Games, funnier, right? <laughs> funny Games 2, Funnier Games. They thought, they thought there was only enough... Violence to fill up a one... A violent, nihilistic <laughs> shock filmmaking for one night. But no, lo, there were eight nights. Mm-hmm. Cache. I guess it's called Cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the White Ribbon. Yeah. yeah. Amor? Was that a Hanukkah? Amor, yeah. Go. Michael Hanukkah. Keep it going, guys. <laughs> Wait, how do you say his name? Hanneke. That's close enough. No, it is not at all. <laughs> one sounds like Hanky, and one sounds like Hanukkah. <laughs> I'm starting to think all you right, just... That's the m- mnemonic I'll use uh, to uh, keep I, I'm so Johnny sad mnemonic. at this movie, I'll use my Hanky to wipe my eyes. Michael Hanneke. I would never give this movie to my grandma on Hanukkah, not Michael Hanukkah. <laughs> That's how you look. Every German director, there's a there's a mnemonic device for their name. Um, uh, like Werner Herzog. Yeah, it's like yeah. this would hurt a hog to watch. This would <laughs> that this, grizzly bear would totally hurt a hog. I'm gonna drive my Hertz rental car to Og, my caveman friend, so we can watch Dieter needs to fly. You don't say Herzog. You don't say her is her wants the Zionist Uh, one world government. You won't say Herzog. That doesn't make sense. Next time I'm watching Even Dorf Started Small, I'll remember that. Even Dorf Started Small again, Dan. He's always been small. Dwarves. He's always been small, dude. His shoes are on his knees where his knees would be. Even even Dorf started smaller. The one Herzog Conway collaboration. You know, because he was originally supposed to be in Fitzgeraldorf. But then instead, he had to back out and they got Klaus Kinski and they lost the Dorf angle. Aguirre, the wrath of Dorf. And of course, Dorf's Ferratu. Oh. So many, so many possible Tim Conway Werner Herzog collaborations. Uh. Dan, your inability to pronounce things is the gift that keeps on giving. It's like, like uh, Michael Haneke. Yeah, yeah. Thank he goes you. on for eight nights. Anyway, anyway. So a talking cat. Let's talk about the characters, shall we? Ugh, there's two I, sets. They're so memorable. There's two sets of characters in this movie. There is Phil. A wealthy computer programmer mm-hmm. who just sold his company and lives in a crazy decorated he's house. Like a, he's, he's like a blonde Otho. He's, he's a, like if, if, 
If there was a spy versus if there no, was a spy versus spy, he would be the white spy and Otho would be the black See, spy. See, he's a blotho, which is not a black otho. It's a blonde otho. Yeah. Now he's a fat elderly man, basically. <laughs> yeah, with a with soul patch. So so cool. And a certain joie de vivre that yeah, and a grace a that is belied by his portly figure. Yeah. Now he has a son who is probably gay. But uh, instead, he expresses that. He's working that. through his He certainly comes off as... His son, Chris, expresses that by being a little awkward and also bookish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and when Fanny... No, Franny, sorry. When Franny, a girl who's in his school, mm-hmm. wants to be tutored by him, but really wants to go mm-hmm. out with him... I he, think she wants to go out with his swimming pool. Yeah, does, yeah she just, all of her flirting seems to be centered around like let's pool. go to the swimming pool. It's, swim. She goes to she's getting tutored in her Hamlet class, yeah. and uh, <laughs> she's just a little and uh, but each time she's like, hey, can we go swimming before we tutor? Hey, why don't we have today's tutoring session in the pool? Mm-hmm. It does actually, you know what? It does feel like she's just using him for his pool. Yeah, and why not? He is. Their chemistry doesn't exist. Yeah. But there's another family. Mm-hmm. Down the road. A down while. the road. A ways. Down a long walk into a forest preserve. <laughs> down there's a, a long walk presumably, into a, yeah, presumably a, in a completely a different walk from state. A walk te- from a temperate forest to <laughs> a coniferous forest. In <laughs> a, a walk from the uh, modern family house to what appears to be like a, a, a woods like maybe bungalow. Like falling waters or some sort of. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's a Frank Lloyd Wright masterpiece. Uh, there's Susan who is mm-hmm. a caterer who just can't make enough money. Shades of brats. And More enough cheese puffs. She can't, she's really has to sink a lot of money into these cheese puffs on spec so that yeah. she can win a job catering for There's a no toy company. There's no spec in those cheese puffs. They're totally vegetarian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wants to cater for a toy company. Uh, now, she has two children, Tina, a girl who's a computer whiz, but also kind of a couch potato, and she's mean to her brother, Trent, whose main... Personality trait is that he thinks he lacks imagination, <laughs> and he knows how to fix things, like a fence, which he fixes for a long time. He fixes the same part of that fence now, over and over. He's a good son, and his mom tells him that a lot, but he just doesn't know what to do with his life. And the fact that he's 16 and doesn't really need to figure out what to do with his life doesn't seem to be a pr- doesn't seem to enter into his stupid head. Played by first timer Daniel Dan. Yeah, that was, was the thing. Dan introducing. <laughs> he was he, Daniel Danis, who played Trent, was introduced as in, and introducing yeah. yep. as opposed to all the big stars we're, like we know Athena in love. Like erupting now, from Zeus's skull. <laughs> the cat. That's what happened. Zeus said, "End introducing," and then Athena just burst forth, fully formed. Now the cat. Got Somebody the... call for a goddess of victory in my Nikkei form. Yep. Hephaestus, yeah. <laughs> craft us up a fucking camera or something to take pictures of this moment. Immortalize it for all of time. The cat got the character credit, though. The cat was like and blank as blank. Yeah, that's the, that's so the credit you the want. So the cat had the, the good agent when it came to that stuff. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so all these, basically all these characters have problems that it takes a long time for the movie to communicate with us. Mm-hmm. Phil needs to find something to do with his retirement. Uh, his son, Chris... Has trouble with ladies. Has trouble picking up signals from ladies. Needs to learn how to swim, too. Su- Susan needs to get this catering job, although the cat doesn't really get Help into that, that at no, all. Not really. Uh, Tina needs to get hooked up with Phil so that he can help her with com- his com- uh-huh. her computer software idea. And Trent needs to learn he has an imagination so he can get an internship at a toy company. Yeah, I guess. And also, that other lady wants to hook up with the kid, so they're, you know... Wait, what? <laughs> the swimming lady. She, the swimming lady, lady wants to hook up with the kid. Her yeah. tutoring, his tutoring student. So they're, you know, their needs basically the same need. Now here's the thing: 
None, here's the thing. None of these needs are important. <laughs> None of them are important, and the characters are do a lot of problems. wandering around. There's a lot of filler in this movie. None more, so, none better than Stuart and my, I think, favorite scene in the whole movie. <laughs> when the camera follows a white car driving down a road in multiple shots for an hour? How long do you think? Driving at a, let's like, say, leisurely pace. <laughs> like seven minutes? It is the, uh, it is the least suspenseful or exciting car tr- car scene since the opening credits to Birdemic. But at least that had, like, scary music over it. Now, this- you're saying you like that padding uh, more than the padding later on in the movie where the app that the teenage girl uh, computer oh, lady no. creates oh, is... Uh, <laughs> the idea behind this app is it, you scan all your clothes and the, clo- and the app uh, suggests a combination of clothes you can wear. And so there's a scene where they are scanning all of their clothes. They're just scanning the tags on their clothes and it dissolves a- to somebody else scanning clothes, <laughs> dissolves back to the first one. This is the dad and the son. They scan clothes. For, it's, it's like, like an eight-minute montage. <laughs> At least in that clothes. montage, the like subtle ruffling of the clothes kind of allows you to drift off to sleep kind of <laughs> well the thing is at least that achieve a trance state that, where you can see the godhead that, you know, that's what happened if you would know ecstasy watch a talking cat now here's the thing about that scene it might have been easier to take if not for the clown circus music over it because that music is telling slide me slide whistles and horns slide whistles and woo and burp burp like you, it was one step away from just random boing sound effects what that music is telling me is this is the zaniest funniest thing you have ever seen these people are scanning the tags on their clothes has the world gone mad oh boy it's like a, it's like a fantasy wonderland a candy colored playground for yep. children of all ages it's a Fellini-esque <laughs> dreamscape it's a true romp it's meant to show the difference between the father and son's relationship at the beginning of the movie, guys, mm-hmm. and their relationship now where they're having a ton of fun yeah, scanning in clothes. they finally join together in an activity they both can enjoy Now, kind of hanging out in a den area. <laughs> in a hallway outside a door. <laughs> now, we've gone a long way without talking about the talking cat, yeah. Duffy, who is a stray cat who wanders <laughs> around, and he's like the Incredible Hulk in the TV show. He just wanders into people's lives and fixes them. Here's the thing. Does he talk? Usually he just thinks out loud in a kind of Garfield way. But And we hear it. And all we the are privy we hear it. We to hear, his internal monologue. We hear every soliloquy about how much he loves the woods and hates what he calls beeping machines, which sometimes seem to mean phones and sometimes mean computers. Yeah. The thing is, Elliot, the line is blurred between those two things. That's true. More and more these days. What is a phone but a computer in your pocket? And yeah. what, is a, what is a book but a movie in your mind? But, it, it's a, but all of his monologues seem to be like a combination of pseudo-poetic uh, dialogue that has been written for Eric Roberts. And maybe Eric Roberts just improvising whatever he's thinking about at the time. Yeah. Or it's him having cryptic conversations with the people, like a regular Confucius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's so... He, he, he can here's the rules about being a talking cat he can only talk out loud to each person once I guess in their lifetime he can have yeah. one conversation per person yeah. so he's got so he's gonna it. use it to help someone get an internship <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, here's the thing also when he talks do they animate his mouth sloppily so that <laughs> yes, it looks like so that do. it looks like a black void is just opening on his face <laughs> yes they do it's like they have, like flies from the pit of hell should be flying out. <laughs> Does it look like like possibly we are staring into the abyss every time the cat opens his mouth and risking madness? Everything we've learned about this world, three dimensions, everything goes out the window. The world is now flat and 
time and space is torn open. So yeah, that his he has a mouth that mathematically should not exist. <laughs> it uses non-Euclidean ge- geometry from some horrible, unspeakable nth dimension. <laughs> and I want to say something about this cat. Uh, Go ahead, it's your podcast, man. Who's stopping you? You might think the cat is the one normally doing the talking. Now you might Dan's think... doing the talking about the talking cat. In this case, Dan is the talking cat. <laughs> so they make a, a talking Dan. <laughs> they make a whole movie about a talking cat. They oh, well, name... uh, 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 let's let's <laughs> roughly. I think, I think one movie is is questionable, but also I think maybe a fifth of the film is about the cat. Right. The rest is about characters finding things to do on right. a Sunday. They, <laughs> they, they name what they charitably call a movie about a talking cat <laughs> after this talking cat. And you would think that the titular talking cat, oh, that, that must be some charming cat. Oh, now, he, he must be like a dapper or a wisecracking guy, you know. Here's what I'll say about this. Elliot, I know, not a fan of cats. He's allergic to them. I understand. Look, it's not that I'm not a fan. Biology has doomed me to yeah. find them uncomfortable. No, but you've got reasons. To, ha- to hold a grudge against cats. Oh, do I ever. Uh, Stuart and I, both cat I owners. find them less than perfect. <laughs> perfect. I like it. Uh, in fact, in my cats. contract, there's a clause. Let's, let's right. pause these interruptions. <laughs> uh, tail? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just... Uh, to cut to you the out chase. You out-cat puns me, sir. Uh, what a catastrophe. Cut to the chase, which is probably a cat chasing a mouse. The... Uh, <laughs> This cat is not a charming cat. Forget no, it, not Elliot. at all. This is one of the least charismatic cats I've seen. And you in like anything. cats. Dan is ready to give any cats. cat the benefit of the doubt. Let's just say something about Dan's cat. Dan's cat is an asshole. <laughs> Dan's cat is a mean-spirited, glaring cat. Who, I mean, she loves me. She loves you, <laughs> yes. but otherwise, because you're, I guess, curmudgeons in across species lines. Yeah. But she, she is a cat who is very unpolite. Let's just yeah. say that. But you love her. You're yeah. willing to look we have past a bond. Her. You love Garfield, who, let's face it, also an asshole. <laughs> I don't love Garfield. Heathcliff, no good, terrorizing the neighborhood. Sure. You love him. What about Riff Raff? <laughs> Riff Raff, well, <laughs> ironically, for a member of a junkyard gang, is very polite and well-behaved and clean. Mm-hmm. Um, now, moving on to Sylvester. Going? Are, you, compla- are you complaining about Squeaky the Cat being... So cat, saying- cat power, also, you know... Fun and cat Jennings, you love anyway. Sure, yeah. So let's just say this: the cat doesn't have Zaz, it, pow, no glam. Cat Stevens, Moxie. Car- it doesn't have Cat Stevens, is what I was saying. <laughs> this cat does not sing folk songs or convert no. to Islam. No, it is it is a unpleasant cat that is clearly just there. Uh, because they have lured it with tuna and with well, laser and pointers. Stuart pointed out, <laughs> quick-eyed Stuart pointed out, Slylock Fox over there <laughs> pointed out that, that nudie Dutch Stuart over here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're Max Mouse, and I'm, I guess, the explanation at the end that tells you're, you what the mystery you're, was. You're Sneaky Weasel or whatever. The, oh, thanks. thanks. Whatever the fucking thing is. <laughs> sneaky Weasel, my second favorite Swedish sex position. <laughs> <laughs> but Stuart pointed out that there's a scene where the cat is supposed to be hanging around some shoes, and you you can clearly see the laser pointer they're using to keep the cat interested in shoes. Here's a here's an example of the illogic in the movie. The mom. The cat- What's illogical is that they didn't just fill those shoes with like tuners or something. Soon. Cats love that stuff. They you don't love that garbage. Rub that cat those shoes with cat, and if the cat will go yeah, gaga over, hide it in the toe. You don't have to see a laser <laughs> zipping around there. Here's the thing. The catering mom is introduced to us looking for her shoes. She can't find them. She can't find them. Her son goes there. They are and points. There's a cutaway of shoes. 
oh, as if they're in the same room that the rest of them are. Sure. Goes, they can oh, be anywhere. There are my shoes. She walks outside where her shoes are and the cat is at them. They're like, who's that cat? I don't know. And she walks away to work. Her <laughs> shoes have never made it onto her feet. She's just walking to work in her stockings, barefoot. I don't know. I have expected those the her shot s- of the shoes to have like a blizzard coming down around it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many shots in this movie that don't like the appear shoes are to flying have... around in outer space. <laughs> so many shots don't appear to be happening in the same place. Even when you finally, even when they are, even when you get finally get a two shot between two people, most of a scene will just be a shot with one character, then a reverse of the other character, then another character, like back and forth. The best is the moment when two characters are supposed to shake hands, and yeah. then you can like almost feel the movie being like, "Oh, I don't know what to do." <laughs> Two characters in one shot? Can we do that? Let's say, you know what? I'm gonna give them I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna give the director the benefit and say, this is an homage to Orson Welles' film of Othello, which because it was shot over a long period of time on multiple continents and with different actors at different times because of budget reasons and scheduling reasons, often the scenes are done in one shots and don't quite match up. Perhaps he said, aha. I'll take the master's aesthetic and I'll apply it to my shitty movie about a talking cat. Because here's the thing. I don't know why they made this movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. This is a movie where you're watching and you're like, I, I can't fathom the reason. It goes a step beyond. Maybe it's in, for cat lovers. We, we, oh, wait. We've already covered that. Cat lovers don't care for it. No, no because not. they love cats, not this this ragamuffin. <laughs> this unpleasant. This, this, this scroungy beast <laughs> that appears to like a cat. There's one shot of, of Duffy, the cat, walking out of a sliding door that's just... <laughs> Close up of his butthole, basically, and it's like I think, even a cat lover doesn't movie. need to look in a cat's rectum. I'm pretty sure you get that shot like three Staring times a day. You stare into the cat's butt, and the cat's butt stares into you, as yep. Nietzsche said. Anyway, and you think is that a hot dog end? No, it's the butt of a cat. <laughs> oh, I took it too far. Now here's the thing. I said here's the thing a bunch of times. Uh, when we saw Food Fight, I said what's scary about this is that this makes sense to someone. I don't even think that's true about a talking cat. Yeah, I don't know who packaged this deal. There's, this who is, was like, David Ducacteau, you... Uh, you yeah, not you're giving his name way more credit. <laughs> what do you think it is? I'll, not, I'll tell you what it is. I'm not even going to think. I'll look it up. His name is David Ducacteau. There's no Cocteau. David Ducacteau. <laughs> what we need is you... Well, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to take you, a gay porn <laughs> softcore director... We're going to call him a sleaze master. You're, you're, sleaze master, David D. Whatever. <laughs> We're going to give him a lot of credit here. He's basically the poor man's Jim Winarski, Harold Blueberry. You know? We're going to put you with a child star from a 70s TV show and <laughs> a 60s TV show and a pornographic actress from the Alice film. We're going to make a talking cat movie where the cat is Eric Roberts <laughs> and kids are going to eat this shit up. We're going to toss it on to Netflix, direct to DVD, direct to steam, streaming. Direct Here's to, my guess. Direct to steaming pile of crap. <laughs> direct to, it's going to steam right there yeah. on your own TV. Here's my guess. Everyone involved in this movie was kidnapped by aliens. <laughs> The aliens brainwashed them into thinking, not into not remembering the how movies erased the idea of what a movie is. They, yeah, this this was this. The hope was that this would destroy filmmaking forever, sure. because I guess the aliens are vulnerable to movie the magic of the movies. So this would destroy cinema and thus open pay, pay, pave the yeah, way like for an alien invasion. The aliens are all the bad guys from Last Action Heroes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, as long as the people watch movies, their power is gone. So that's my only guess is that some kind of non-human intelligence <laughs> edited and was behind this film. Now we haven't. Maybe re- here's the maybe a computer gained sentience and decided to make a movie. <laughs> sure. And this was it. We haven't really gone through the plot of the movie, but the thing is, we can't because the thing is, like all basically, the plot of this movie is all these people ba- did not really have problems, and then a cat came into their life and solved their non problems. Had a cryptic conversation with them and gave them some pretty obvious advice. Their problems were solved. The cat get hit by a car. Yeah, that's the big. The cat finish. gets hit the, by a car. The, the big finish. The cat gets hit by a car. And they have to find his magic. In a terrifying scene where we see first a black car driving at a medium speed, (laughs) (laughs) and then the sound of screeching tires and a cat's cat squeal. (laughs) It's a squeak. It's squeaky, the cat. Yeah, the the car driving fast was shot with the same skill as the many, as Elliot pointed out, day for night scenes where they just had like a weird blue day for night scenes. Holy shit. Those are, it's amazing. So at nighttime, everything is bright blue and windows are (laughs) Fully like brightly lit in some ways brighter yeah like this, a nuclear bomb is no, outside this is the my window. alien theory all over because every room looks like at night fire in the sky is going on right behind <laughs> the mothership is landing and there's huge beams of light coming through you know there's a little kid's gonna open a door like in close encounters there's just gonna be light coming through I recently uh, I wa- recently watched Lawrence of Arabia and there's some day for night scenes in the desert that at, you know, look great. They, they, but yeah, the, you know now what's going on. Like, like, day for night never looks totally convincing. But that I'll, I I need to give that movie credit again. I apologize, Lawrence of Arabia, for looking at you <laughs> slightly worse. I apologize. One of the best movies ever made. <laughs> Your day for night scenes are better than a talking cat. <laughs> you know what? I think David Lean. Maybe you're right. Maybe I owe you an apology, David Lean. You are better than the director of. Uh, what, 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 of bikini <laughs> goddesses, or uh, what was some of the other ones that he made? Hold on, I don't know. So we have a cat that gets hit by a car. They put Oops. him in like a mummy costume. <laughs> yeah, that's the, like this cat is clearly still totally fine. They've just draped. They've just like thrown a couple bandages. Yeah, they, they they the best part is, the, is that they say the you know the veterinarians made him as comfortable as possible by dressing him like fucking Dengar. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, look. He, he, how else are you going to show that a cat is dying than by lightly draping a bandage <laughs> over his face? And letting him roll around on a bed for a minute. As if the cat every- doesn't know where he's at, dude. <laughs> well, the problem is they shot the film out of sequence. Yeah. So the cat <laughs> forgot he was supposed to be injured in that scene. So here's the thing. And so the people make a huge logical leap. <laughs> they say perhaps the only thing that can save him is his magic collar that he hid in a grove of trees somewhere. <laughs> so let's walk through the forest in groups looking for this collar. And Your description sounds ridiculous, but that's literally as much time as the movie <laughs> takes to describe this. Yeah. yeah. And they're it's, like, might as well try it. We're going to so do they it. they do. They find the collar. <laughs> they put it on the cat. There are some very cheap computer laser effects. Mm-hmm. And the cat's okay. <laughs> Hooray, everybody! And everyone's problems are solved. The little gr- the girl's software makes a big lot of money. The yeah, Eric Roberts explains all this. They guess yeah. the caterer gets the job catering for the toy company thanks to a new big investor mm-hmm. in the toy company. <clears throat> the, it's Phil, the dad. Uh, all the the, the, the tutor romances and, his, and his girlfriend well. are in a pool. And I guess Trent gets that internship. They don't really show much of him <laughs> they at don't the talk end. Talk about Trent. There is. A, you know, one of the great things about that final montage is when they just show yeah, montage is loosely used. What here. the uh, the the son I don't remember his name, 
uh, frolicking uh, in the pool with his pool girlfriend, Chris, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Franny, the pool girl. Mm-hmm. And Franny. they're just like swimming back and forth without going underwater. And she, for some reason, she just says, cannonball? But at no point does anybody jump into the pool. They never yeah. do. Oh, that was one of his problems. I forgot. He didn't know how to swim. And yeah. so Trent had to teach him how to swim. Which all again felt like a setup for a gay porn scene, and that never happened. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, she just she just was cannonball, and then they keep just kind of dog paddling around. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense at all. That's not a cannonball. Uh, maybe yeah. she's just talk- as a party animal. You're very upset about that. Here, here's my explanation. I was hoping that the talking cat, the talking cat, <laughs> would then do a cannonball into the water. Yeah, and go party. Mm-hmm. You were hoping it would end like that talking dog movie that that Chevy Chase did the voice. Oh, for. and then and Karate then dog. hold on. No, wait, here's uh, here's my explanation of cannonball. We didn't see it in the scene because they cut in too late. But the guy said, hey, what was the song that got cut out of the state DVDs because they couldn't get the music clearance rights? And she went, Cannonball? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, that's right, Cannonball. Mm-hmm. They had to cut it out of that sketch. That's probably what happened. What were you going to say, Dan? No, well, then I just wanted to uh, – I didn't want us to uh, pass over the fact that then when the credits happen, they do uh, character shots for all the characters. And it's like three shots from the movie. But all of the shots of the different characters are the most boring shots of <laughs> these characters. Looking. looking at something or reacting to something or listening to something. It I real- mean, all of these shots one of my favorite shots in like was one the- of two buildings. So. <laughs> and a couple, of, like one of them had just happened seconds before where the uh, where the woman was feeding the father uh, cheese, cheese puffs, puffs and yeah. patting his gut. <laughs> well, I mean, he's an he's an older guy. I can only assume a widower. Look, man, well, he says not he, everyone gets fat. When they meet, he said. <laughs> sure. When they meet, he said she. He goes. She goes. Oh, I have t- uh, two. I have twins. Oh, is your husband around? Oh, I'm not married. I never was. That goes without mm. comment. Which I guess is very yeah, liberal of the movie. They're fucking babies. <laughs> and they, oh yeah, the, yeah. The Lord put them in me. And <laughs> and then he goes. Oh well, you know, it's awkward. My wife left me with my son, and so his wife, I guess, got tired of being married to this goofball. <laughs> yeah. This goofball. He's a workaholic. Program. I think we never even mentioned like. The the cat somehow uses his magic to put an article on the girl's computer about Phil's software company. On the yeah. what blinking machine was on it the called? blinking on the beeping machine. Well, and it was like it's, all caps, like so. He understands, he understands about, the concept of a machine, <laughs> <laughs> but, he but he doesn't know the, the, what a computer is. He doesn't. He's kind of part caveman, but a uh, cave cat. But the uh, which is would have been a great Hanna Barbera character. But the. Uh, the article I mean, it's starts like out. A, it's like a spear tooth, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The article starts out being about this guy selling his company and retiring, and then the next paragraph is a is the description of a classified ad. <laughs> it's like I don't understand. If, is the cat just making this up whole cloth out of nothing, and he doesn't really understand how articles work? Because I I buy it. A cat doesn't read a lot of magazines. Even cat fancy is not really for cats. No. You know? Uh, yeah, so we should uh, skip to uh, final judgments, whether this was a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie we kind of like. I'm going to go, uh, I say this is a good, bad movie. It gets it, it gets a little rough going, but if you're watching it with people, like, it is absurdly... <laughs> it is an hour and 23 minutes, and it starts to drag around the hour mark. Yeah, otherwise. but it is absurdly third act problems. <laughs> yeah. Like the Marvel movies. <laughs> But then, but then, right it before, first, second, if you like the problems. Marvel movies, you'll probably like <laughs> if this. If you like the Avengers, you'll love a talking cat. <laughs> yeah, but then, one, right at the point where you might be getting tired, 
then uh, the cat gets injured and all that craziness <laughs> happens. So I say uh, it's it's a funny movie to watch. It's bad. You know what, Dan? I never thought we'd agree on anything. <laughs> but I'm going to agree with you. This is the goodest of the bad movies. All it right. is a uh, It was a delight most of the time in how stupid it was and bad. Don't watch it alone because you'll fe- wonder how your life came to this. <laughs> watch it with a friend. You'll, fi- you'll be found dead in a pool of your own vomit. <laughs> yep. It'll be ruled a justified suicide. <laughs> Who's going to rule it? Judge fucking Harry? Uh, Judge Death, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Judge Harry. Judge Death, the bad guy from fucking Judge Dredd? Bring up the next case, Mac. (laughs) (laughs) And they just wheel in a body with a sheet over it. Oh, talking cat? Oh, Oh, this body was found dead watching a talking cat. Well, there's no plaintiff or defendant here, but I guess... Case dismissed. (laughs) Throw him him away and lock up the key. (laughs) Bring in the next case. It's another body under a sheet, but it's Dan Fielding and a babe. <laughs> Night court. Steal what do you have to say? Uh, no, you guys are both right. Uh, it is a good, uh, a good bad movie. It is the type of thing that I would normally hope to watch more of here. Yes. In, yeah. In this flop house of ours. If every flop house movie was like this one, this would be a joy as yeah. opposed to the grueling torture <laughs> that it is. Task. Yeah. Um, Stu, before we... Knives uh, in my ding-dong. <laughs> the Stuart Wellington story. Before we move on. <laughs> An A&E, a and a lifetime original movie. And for my ding-dong. <laughs> Not without my ding-dong. <laughs> the Castle Freak's Tale. Un- unauthorized. The ding-dong story. <laughs> um, before we move on, Stuart, uh, I believe you have a, a few words to say regarding our uh, Yonkers live show on October the 18th. Dan, I'm bonkers over our Yonkers <laughs> live Were show. Were those the words you needed to say? Uh, no, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm going to say, guys, is that <laughs> if you are listening to this, you should immediately go and check out our website, flophousepodcast.com, yeah. um, where we have information about our upcoming live show on October 18th. October 18th. Saturday. October 18th. Uh, October Scareteenth. Okay. And uh, that's at the Yonkers Draft House up in Yonkers, New York. Well, Alamo Draft House. It's the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers, New York. Thank you, Elliot, for uh, fixing what I just said. <laughs> um, and the big information is that we are actually sending some party buses up there. Party buses that are going to be picking people up at Charlene's Bar at 353 Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. And they're going to be taking people up to the show and then bringing people back. And tickets are uh, $26. And um, Now, this does not include a ticket to the show. Does not uh, include a ticket to the show. More information, because I am totally fucking this up, because I've had a couple of beers. Uh, no, wait, more- but So basically, if you're looking for a more expensive way to get to Yonkers and don't want to see the show... Yeah, just, you just could, buy a I guess you could buy a ticket. That's good. This could also just operate as a bus. I will say that like, if you're coming to the show, if you've got tickets to the show, uh, $26... Back Actually, and forth from Yonkers is, pretty good. is a pretty cheap thing. Much cheaper like, than a car would be and cheaper probably than cheaper than a train would be or, yeah. or equivalent. So, And if you want to see it. us in our like post-show exhaustion where we don't want to talk to anyone and we're dead to the world, totally ride on the bus with us. Or our Yay. pre-show prep mode where we also don't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. We're going to have fun on those buses. Yay. And um, guess what? You can get a drink at Charlene's before and after. The best bar in Brooklyn, I think so. Yeah, and you can also get drinks and food at the Alamo Draft House. So what were you going to say, Elliot? I was going to say, say, so Stuart, what was that again? So go to the Flophouse uh, podcast website, and uh, the link is at the very bottom of the page, and we accept PayPal for this. The first uh, bus sold out very fast, so 
if you're listening to this early on, uh, hie thee to the website, and uh, maybe you'll get on the second bus. Get on the bus. That's what the Spike Lee movie was about, right? Mm -hmm. Going to Yonkers to see us talk about I Know Who Killed Me? Yeah. Uh, Speaking of which, October 18th, Alamo Draft House. I Know Who Killed Me. With us, the Flophouse Gang. And guests. Get on the bus. I also want to remind people about the Song of the Autumn contest, where you Song uh, of the Autumn. take audio from uh, previous episodes of the Flophouse, uh, turn them into a catchy tune, catchy uh, tune, put your song up on SoundCloud so we can embed it on our site, and then send us Cloud. a link. It's like YouTube song. for songs. Now, I think I may have given the wrong email address last time. I think <laughs> I think I may have I've said, used this with girls <laughs> in the past. I think I may have said flophousepodcast at gmail.com when I think it actually might be the flophousepodcast at gmail.com. Did you look this up? Even more of an ungainly thing. <laughs> did but you did you double check this and I, maybe write it down I, so you could read it right now? Well, I'm doing it now. But <laughs> so if you send it to one I just thought it was funny that you were like I think I did it wrong last time. I think it's the FlophousePodcast.com. <laughs> try me. <laughs> try Flophouse Podcast number one. If you send it to one, try the other. But the one way that I know, <laughs> the one way that I know that you'll get it to us is if you go to our website, FlophousePodcast.com, click on contact, the contact That'll take tab. you to Dan's favorite Jodie Foster movie. <laughs> <laughs> if you uh, put it in that, then I will get the message. So the best way to submit a song for the, the Song of the Autumn contest is, is to go through, through the, the website. Through the Flophouse the website. contact link on the website. Flophousepodcast.com. Yeah. When you're ready to make your song, that's basically all. Anywho. Yeah. And so the deadline to get of, songs You can just in. make R-O-C-K in the USA <laughs> sure. the way I did it. Yeah. It's going to win. A uh, reminder that the deadline to get songs in is October the 1st. Uh, the winning song we played at the end, end of the episode of uh, our show that drops November 1st, and the winner will get a T-shirt and get to pick a movie for us to discuss. Full rules for the contest are also available on the aforementioned website, FlophousePodcast.com. So that ends the announcement. Go to segment. the website. Some good announcements. we got the show in Yonkers, October 18th. Get on the bus, sign up on the website, and while you're on the website, submit your Song of the Autumn contest entry. Yeah. Uh, but now it's the next segment, which is called What's that? Letters from Listeners. Letters from Listeners. Letters. Oh. From, Letters wait, were you going to say Listeners. I, I, I feel like we touched a magical skull and we switched bodies for a second. <laughs> oh, no. And then we touched the skull again. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, to continue. You both peed on a magical skull. <laughs> and then the owner of the of the museum that the skull was in chased us out. <laughs> listeners. Listeners send some letters. Listeners. Listeners go and getters, I appreciate the ambition it took to write that letter and slip it in a book. Then you'd use it as a bookmark for a while. You'd forget to mail it till you saw it and smiled. That's right, there's my letter as a listener. And I'll mail it to the Flophouse so I'm not listening. I'm talking (laughs) in text. What's next? It's a letter from you, the listener, the listener who this sent the letter. <laughs> What's this letter okay, gonna well, be? Oh wow, he's We're at the more stuff. moment of maximum potential. Anything can happen. Maybe we shouldn't open the store. Leave it as a mystery. Let's not collapse everything. <laughs> So that all the events stop being possibilities and instead the waveform 
goes into one thing. Yeah, really, like Schrodinger's letter. <laughs> At this moment, we have to assume that the letters, both pro and con, love and hate, says it all. Okay. Maybe all right. there's eight letters <laughs> in the letters. box. Schrodinger's no letter box from the listeners <laughs> okay. to the flop house all right. tonight. All right. Well, this letter is from. Did you intend on doing a Schrodinger's letterbox I in the A Talking Cat I, oh, episode? Good point. Schrodinger had to assume that the cat was both talking and not talking. And that at some point, <laughs> there would be a podcast about garbage and his movie, A Talking Cat. <laughs> now, people rarely talk about the Schroeder's cat experiment, oh, in which you have to assume that the cat or Beethoven is in the box. <laughs> sure. This letter. But that's a huge dog. How would he fit in a box? <laughs> This letter's from <laughs> This letter's from Chartex. What if Schroeder wasn't a family musician Beethoven, but of the dog Beethoven? Totally different spin on the character. <laughs> All the symphonies crafted by the dog Beethoven? This letter's from Chartex last name withheld. Chartex? I, yeah, I hope I haven't read it before. It goes like this. Ahoy floppers, I dearly adore the finely tuned comedic makeup of your podcast. Stuart's salty charisma. <laughs> Elliot's brainy, hilarious interjections. Thank you. Dan. It seems to me <laughs> that the three of you are the most qualified professionals to put the finishing touch on my cinematic bell curve concept. Allow me to explain. If we were to visualize the entirety of movie history as an enormous bell curve of quality, we'd see the vast majority of movies from really terrible to quite good falling in the big, swelling middle. At the rightmost tip, we'd place those few movies that managed to not just be great, but more than some of their parts. Take The Godfather. Director, cast, composer, cinematographer, etc. are somehow all simultaneously at their career best, thereby producing a one in a million instance of cinematic perfection. All the way over the leftmost tip of our curve are the movies like The Room and Birdemic, which transcend mere badness by suggesting a production in which every single decision made, big or small, was the wrong one. These movies stand out because failure this complete is as statistically unlikely as the total across the board success at the other end of the curve. Here's where you come in. What movie represents 5.0 on this scale? There are countless films clustered near the center of the bell curve, but only one can represent the absolute dead center, a movie with nothing whatsoever to nudge it into the good or bad halves, but which instead stands as an avatar of perfect cinematic beigeness. I'll defer to your expertise. Whichever film you anoint will be the example I forever place at the center of the cinematic bell curve. See you on the flippity flop, Chartex. Wow, Before we answer that, I just want to say, Dan, you did a great job reading that letter. You did a dude. fantastic job. I think that the key the, is neither of you interrupted you, me. The you vocal exercises were that you did before the show were probably really yeah. positive. I to heard your no stumbles, no mumbles, no jumbles, no crumbles. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You missed. You got. You you avoided all four of the bad umbles. <laughs> I would say. I would say, just on the outset, to answer this question is going to be it's tough because because it's going to be the most bland most thing. So it probably movie. fell yeah. out of my head. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a movie we didn't bother. It's probably a movie like I Love Trouble with Julia Roberts and Nick Nolte <laughs> that no one remembers. Yeah, because why would you? Or like. The paper, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like the paper. Okay, well then maybe that's a five point three. Okay, <laughs> maybe it's like, I mean maybe Beethoven. We mentioned it before. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty mediocre kind of nothing bland movie. 
Or like a runaway bride, maybe. How about that? I mean, that was yeah. a huge movie. It was a huge hit, but like, it's not. Does anyone remember? It was a huge hit exists? because it was so great, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how it usually works, yeah. Or maybe like, uh, I mean, like, not, conspiracy like a multiplicity. <laughs> multiplicity is a little bit, is not a five. <laughs> that's less than that. This is speaking of someone who attended the New York premiere, Dan. <laughs> now, the, the, uh, I went there. Was probably a Q and A Q&A after that premiere? Uh, there was none. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be associated with the film. Uh, I, there probably there are a lot of movies that fit this, but yeah, it's hard to think of them because they like one true thing with Meryl Streep and Renee Zellweger. Maybe that fits as a five. You know, <laughs> I don't even remember that. That's that the one exists. where Meryl Streep is dying of cancer. Renee Zellweger is her daughter. Mm. It was shot in Maplewood, New Jersey, the town my dad lives in. The other sister. <laughs> No, again, that's less than a five. <laughs> Milk money. <laughs> Milk money, maybe, yeah. I'm just or like, naming movies that I that exist on the periphery of my memory. <laughs> yeah, you're, try, you're trying to like unfocus your brain like a magic eye painting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those are paintings, right? Yeah, they're paintings. Yeah. Exactly. They're all hands painted. Exactly Rembrandt invented them, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you stare long enough at Aristotle hey. contemplating a bust of Homer and just unfix your eyes, a dolphin shows up. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so like a, goof, a goofy panther. So I don't know, like Brother Bear, maybe? Yeah. Sure. A goofy panther. <laughs> Bitch. Yeah, Rembrandt was, was thinking of a, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Freddy Fan. He's <laughs> a member of the Freddy Fan Club. Mm hmm. That thing yeah, who can forget do. Rembrandt's portrait <laughs> of Freddy? How about that thing you do? <laughs> yeah, that thing you do could be like a 5.1, you know? Yeah. Something objectionable about it, but I don't really particularly remember. But it's like, is there anyone whose favorite movie is that thing you do? No, of course not. Would you ever ch- go out of your way to watch it? <laughs> what no. About, uh, what about Home Fries? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> ben Skelligan, by the way, man. Or like Fever no Pitch. Kidding, maybe Fever Pitch, that could be one. Yeah, sure. Like movies that, enough. Or you know what? Trouble with the curve. Ah, there I you think go. I'd call that a number a five. Trouble with the curve. Because that's a movie where literally I had no interest in seeing it particularly. Mm-hmm. But one day I was on vacation with my wife. We were really tired. She wanted to take a nap. It happened to be on TV. I started yeah. watching it roughly it just, forty minutes in. Just happened first time. And first I just finished uh, writer, long time fan. And I just finished watching it. And I was like, you know what? I wasn't mad at that movie, yeah. but did I particularly like it? I- no. Ironically. Trouble with the curve, straight down the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! High five, yeah. me, bro. Sports, <laughs> sports. So. so now, David, write in and tell us why that's an amazing movie. Uh, okay, moving on, dear flop team. That's on us. the morning of my of the wedding sports of my again. one of my. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the movie of my wedding, on the movie, on the morning, it's called Rachel getting married. <laughs> on the morning of the wedding of one That's of my a best rough weddings, <laughs> it was. Uh, he and I and our other like-minded friends gathered in my basement to partake in something we had done numerous times over the course of our friendship. Shrooms. We <laughs> we watched a monster movie, not just any monster hey, movie. We watched a monster movie Deep the Star morning Six. before my wedding. Yeah, Piranha 3D. Uh, oh no! But rather, we watched Head of the Family. This wasn't just a symbolic goodbye, but also a physical one as well. As that night, my friend the groom was hopping on a plane with his newly minted missus to fly to New Zealand to start their new life together. We ate burritos. As hobbits. <laughs> we ate burritos and watched as the hero didn't heed the VHS clamp box warning and messed with the head. Oh, you know how you're going to end up. <laughs> yep. 
And if it wasn't for the recommendation of the Team Flophouse, we would have probably not had this masterpiece to send my friend off on his new life with. I think Stuart gets the credit. This leads me to my questions. What I've been waiting my whole life for. <laughs> on several episodes of your hilarious podcast, the figure of Joe Bob Briggs has repeatedly been referenced by the floppers. Joe Bob, specifically as hosting of TNT's Monster Vision, was the defining television personality of my childhood. He was the first person I can remember seeing on t- TV who I knew was on my side. If something sucked, he told me so. When the TNT censored so shamefully scissored out all the best parts of the movies, I could feel his anger. Monster Vision was the place I saw what would become my favorite movies. Phantasm 2, In the Mouth of Madness, Return of the Living Dead, and many more. Do you feel the Flophouse is the natural evolution of these late-night horror programs? While you don't exclusively cover horror films, I found several of my new favorite movies have either been recommendations or subjects of the Flophouse. Movies like Bratz and Castle Freak. <laughs> The, the, the three pretzel freak. <laughs> pretzel freak. <laughs> three, that guy loves That's German pretzels. for a freak for pretzels. Yeah. <laughs> that's English for a freak for pretzels, too. The three floppers plus cat, it seems, like Joe oh, Bob's ribs, breaks, are on the side of the movie going pl- public. And without you guys, I wouldn't have such wonderful memories to share with my closest friends. <laughs> membranes? <You said> membranes. <laughs> membranes. Such wonderful membranes. Oh, boy. We used to pick membranes with my father. Uh, like mucus membrane, John I Constantine's mean, that's close band. To, that's close enough to end Well, that's up, really well. nice. Thank you and for, the, for the credit. I would love to think that we're uh, Joe Brock Briggs from the new generation. <laughs> I don't think we are, but I would love to. Again, that would be a huge honor. I mean, I'm more, I more feel like we're uh, USA up all night. For the new generation, I think we're more kept in video of the new generation. <laughs> if it's the USA, basically thing. every time I see Christina from the from the Alamo Draft House up in Yonkers, she mm-hmm. basically just tells me about different screenings that Joe Bob Briggs shows up to, and I feel bad about myself. Oh, I wish he, he I was at any of those. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he, yeah, he was. I think he was a big influence on all of us. I assume. Yeah. And watching Monster Vision was definitely the closest I was gonna ever gonna get to like. Getting to watch like Zachary or something, you know, the the real classic monster movie chiller host. I mean, I think that we all appreciate the simultaneously ironic and genuine appreciation of trash. Yeah, yeah, that he really liked these things, but he could also make fun of them. And he, uh, and I think like through him, I was introduced to Joe Lansdale, who I love, mm-hmm. and then back to Don Cascarelli again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there, I feel similar to the writer of the letter. Like there are a ton of movies that I saw for the first time on Monster Vision. And was intrigued enough by them to then go see them, not on Monster Vision, and see the blood and the boobs and everything. And it's too bad, because I've really looked for other reviewers who are able to provide that same kind of viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And the closest I can get is like that uh, the horror review site Arrow in the Head, which is even that is not quite good enough. It's like a weirdly like like frat boyish type. Yeah, they, and I feel like that gives things a pass a little bit too much sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, there are unique individuals in the history of the world, and Joe Bob Briggs is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Good old JBB. Anyway, moving on. Congratulations to Elliot on the recent addition to the most noble and ancient house of flop. As it happens, my daughter, first name withheld, last name withheld, was born late January. Probably wise. I propose that to finally seal the house of flop with a venerable last name withheld clan, <laughs> we can track now to marry these two sometime in early 2032. Maybe it could be a special episode Still of the flop young house to get married. By way of a dowry, I can offer three hundred and fifty dollars and a DVD copy of Goodfellas that's so old you have to flip it over halfway through the movie. <laughs> I remember that edition. <laughs> Around the time Karen blows it's not Henry even a in the long kitchen. Movie. <laughs> Anyway, I hope to hear from you soon. P.S. My wife doesn't know I'm doing this, so please try and keep it on the DL 
Till the papers are signed. Ben, last name withheld. Well, Ben, it's an intriguing offer, and I'll take it under consideration. Uh, I want you know my son to have a little bit of choice in his own bride, but also if we're still doing this podcast in 2032, something's gone wrong. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. You can pass <laughs> so that, that, that money sounds if pretty I'm good. If I'm a 50 year old man and I'm sitting here with you two yabos just mm. re- watching crappy movies, actually, yep, it watching pretty, at that point it'd be fucking sounds space pretty, movies. Sounds magical. Yeah, we're watching space movies in the Astro House. Yeah, we're yeah, we're like jacking on the internet. Chairs doing this podcast. That sounds kind of uh... actually that'd be pretty great. Now I have a wormy boner. <laughs> <laughs> I have become. I keep it uh, in a jar on my desk. <laughs> we have Crab be- keeper. We have become that which we mocked. <laughs> actually, that sounds pretty good. I hope we are doing this in eighteen years. All right. Well, a quick final letter from Mark, middle name withheld, Morris, Con- uh, and he says, "Ding dong day, ding dong gate is dead." The running argument of ding whether dong, or not... Ding-dong, the ding-dong gate is dead. Ding-dong mm-hmm. gate. The ding-dong gate, yeah, <laughs> The running argument of whether or not the Castle Freak rips his own ding-dong <laughs> off has been answered, and I took the straightforward problem-solving skills of my 15-year-old son to do it. For new listeners, ding-dong gate started many episodes ago with Stewart's insistence that there is a ding-dong ripped off in his oft-recommended movie Castle Freak. Well, no, I mean, there is a ding-dong ripped off. Your insistence yeah. was that the Catholic ripped his own ding dong off. I insisted that, yeah. Yeah. Other listeners, including Dan, have stated that there is no ripping off of a ding dong in Castle Freak. Even so, the controversy continued. To settle this dispute, my 15 year old son, Chase, sent this tweet to Stuart Gordon, the director of Castle Freak. I have a question <laughs> Does the Castle Freak rip his own ding dong off? Yes or no? Stuart Gordon replied. <laughs> No. I love that Stuart Gordon deigns to reply to that. <laughs> Stuart, Stuart Wellington, when presented with this answer... I using the word ding-dong. <laughs> Stuart Wellington, when presented with this answer, replied only with, God damn it. <laughs> Thus ending ding-dong gate forever. In the future, we should all take lessons from this young man. When we have a problem or a question, go directly to the source. Now that Ding Dong Gate is settled, we can finally turn. rested, and it's now that its work on this earth is done. Ding Dong Gate can ascend to heaven. Now that this long national nightmare is over, we can turn our attention fully to answering this age-old question: Does the Crypt Keeper have intact genitals? Uh, and and what would happen if Penny met a dinosaur? Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that kid, if he doesn't win a Pulitzer, yeah. then the system is corrupt. Yeah. Then I don't even know what to believe anymore. This is, is some the, the, Robert Carroll level. This is the <laughs> finest event. Uh, yeah. He is the Woodward. Some active killing style stuff. He is the Woodward and Bernstein of Ding Dong Gate. Mm-hmm. And I'm just glad that he, this fine investigative reporting took place. Thank you, Chase. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of at a loss for words. It's been a very <laughs> difficult day. Uh, <laughs> this news broke this morning. Uh, my wife was frustrated because I kept ignoring her while she tried to talk to me. And I'm like, no, honey, I have to deal with Sorry, this. Stuart Gordon has weighed in on a very important matter. Yeah, and, Stuart uh, Gordon has betrayed me. It's been it's been really difficult. Uh, you know, I feel like I've really supported Stuart Gordon. Oh, that was a weird beeping, huh? Your, yeah, your beeping machine is going off. Sorry. So I've recommended a lot of his movies. You go on to Amazon. Uh, his movies are often paired with Head of the Family. <laughs> Invisible Maniac. <laughs> if it's paired with Invisible Maniac, I'll be shocked because that movie only exists on YouTube right now. <laughs> now, Stuart, how are you going to handle this? Are you going to take some time to reflect? Maybe 
spend some time with your family? Uh, are you going into a ding dong ripping off seeing rehab of some kind? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know about that. I don't think that exists. I I feel like I need to go on some kind of a vision quest where instead of seeing a guy rip off his own ding dong, I just see uh, a ding dong maybe grow back. I don't know. Your spirit animal is a healthy ding dong. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stuart, uh, God maybe bless I'll get you. that on a pendant around my neck. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I just hope I hope uh, you find solace in this time, dark time. Sure, maybe know? a tattoo. Sure. If uh, you got like a tattoo a fish? of the castle freak ripping his own ding dong off, and then underneath <laughs> it was tattooed, "You're wrong, Gordon." <laughs> you took a picture of that and sent it to him. I guess he'd probably put a restraining order on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel at this point, I'm like all my all my attempts to edit in footage uh, on my Blu-ray copy, which doesn't seem to work because I keep putting it in my <laughs> my iMac and it's not working. <laughs> but uh, footage of him ripping off his own ding dong. Now, until I just, the thing is, until Brian Yuzna weighs in on this, I think that's the real key. Is Brian Yuzna? I think is a little more in touch with the material. <laughs> I just like the calm, like like equanimity that like Stuart Gordon. <laughs> Just like responds no to this question, I don't know. I mean, to me, it suggests that the idea there's no wiggle room there. Like no, not at all. Like the way a ding dong would wiggle. <laughs> not even enough room for a ding dong to wiggle in. The fact that he's not surprised suggests there was to no, me what? Of course not. <laughs> like I feel, I feel like this is already filtered to him somehow. I hope so. Much the same way that I hope Alan Ruck knows that we that we that we were talking about him before. Yeah. Although sure. I doubt it. Uh, but now is the part in the movie or in the movie. <laughs> now is the part in the movie. We're in a movie. Now is the part in the movie where the the male and female leads get back together after having a misunderstanding earlier on, and it's also the part in the podcast where we recommend a movie <laughs> that we like. Sure. It's the part in the movie where we recommend a podcast. So I'm going to say 99% Invisible, and then I'm going to go on a car chase. Yeah, and I'm going to say My Brother, My Brother, and Me. And I'm going to say, uh, what's a podcast? <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go again. You, you thought, Freeze frame, credits roll. It's going to be a long grandpa. You've been imagining that I've, just been, t- I've been taping these and putting them in a time capsule. <laughs> sure. Like Prince. <laughs> Yeah, uh, why are you looking at me? No, sorry. You both started looking at me like this was the moment where it turns out you're, like, you're both cannibals that tricked me here, and now you're looking at me just seeing a giant turkey leg. It's what we call a malign paradigm shift, Elliot. Um, it's when you realize all the other travelers at the inn you're staying in are, are actually vampires. werewolves. Oh, it's, it's Not vampires, we're talking lichens. The kind of thing that would happen in a Michael Hanukkah film. <laughs> I was looking at you. Eight days of great movies. Because I, uh, I was... Want me to, uh, yeah, why don't you recommend a movie? A movie? Okay, the movie I'd like to recommend is a uh, film I just saw recently, and I really enjoyed it. It's called Intimate Lighting, which sounds like it's a softcore pornography film, but it's not. It's actually a uh, Czech New Wave (laughs) film, and I found over the years that I really like the films from the Czech New Wave movement of the 60s. They're like uh, usually pretty down-to-earth, like kind of funny, but not like goofy silly, just kind of like either... Black comedy deadpan or kind of offbeat quirky movies that move at their own pace and are shot in, usually in a kind of natural way and the and the acting is very natural. I really like them a lot. And so this is one I hadn't seen before, but it's directed by Ivan Passer, who's best known for like <coughs> Cutter's Way and uh, he directed Creator. Uh, but this was – I think it was his first film and it's from 1965 and it's yeah. – 
Everyone remembers Creator with Peter O'Toole and <laughs> Mariel Hemingway. I'm guessing that a lot of people listening to the Flophouse know what Creator yeah, is. Right. You know, or maybe they like. Well, come on, when the guys, if the guy has no movies that are more famous than Cutter's Way or Creator. Sure. So, but uh, that I know of. Uh, but this, I think, was his first movie, and it's a short, tight little movie about a two musicians. One is a guy in this kind of smallish town who's married and has a family and uh, run, works with a local uh, band orchestra that's mainly amateurs. And a fr- an old friend of his that he used to play with who is a single guy with this beautiful, sexy girlfriend who plays in the city comes to visit him so that they can both play at a concert together. And the movie is really just the two of them interacting after what seems like a long time apart and getting to know each other and kind of feeling out this new dynamic where one of the, they kind of in some ways are both living the life the other one would have liked to have, or at least the family man envies the single guy quite a bit. But at the same time, there's a lot of like local characters and just kind of, um, you know, like quirky situations. They go to a funeral that they play music at that goes on for a very long time and they can't quite, they can't seem to leave. And there's a late night conversation between the two of them where they decide to go around the house listening to how the rest of their family members sound when they're snoring. And there's <laughs> like it just captured very well this feeling of like these two guys who used to be friends, they didn't have a falling out, but they've changed. And there's something melancholy about that, but there's still it's also something funny about that. So I really enjoyed it a lot. Intimate lighting, I'll call it. Because that's um, the title. Yeah. I like to recommend a movie... I saw just last night uh, called The Guest, uh, directed by Adam Wingart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You're next guy. Now, you better did. keep this shit light on spoilers, dude. Yeah, he did You're Next, which I, which I liked a lot, but I think that The Guest is actually a huge leap forward for him. Okay, I'm going to put my fingers in my ears, so okay. just... There's not going to be spoilers, but... Um, so uh, I saw what, what was an advanced screening at the time. It should be out by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, the director was there. The writer was there. Uh, the star, Dan Stevens, was there, who played Matthew Crowley on Downton Abbey, but has slimmed down and bulked up and has gotten super a fucking you can't, buff. You can't do both of those. Uh, you can't you slim can. down and bulk up. You can when it's muscle. You put on pure muscle, Elliot. Yeah. That's bulk. Um, but um, this is a movie that um, they expressly described afterwards as... The Terminator meets Halloween, and you can see that. Like it is, you can totally see that, but it's also its own thing. Um, but it's a so film. like the Terminator puts a costume together and goes trick or treating. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah. The costume looks like William Shatner. Dan, Dan Stevens <laughs> plays a mysterious army guy who shows up at the house of uh, again Stuart. I'm just saying anything that you would see in any uh, review. I'm not going to get into spoilers. He hasn't spoilers. been reading the reviews. Um, so Dan Stevens shows up. As an army guy who was the friend of the uh, dead son of this family, and uh, he ingratiates himself into this family, but there's something a little off about him, and violence seems to follow him around, and it's a movie that totally like that seems to have cracked the code of how to be um, equal parts action film horror film and comedy without anything like overwhelming anything else. And it's also one of these movies that is done in the style of sort of an older exploitation style. Like it 
is it joins Drive or House of the Devil in feeling like it's straight out of the 80s, but it doesn't feel like a pastiche or throwback. It feels like it's just using that style. Or that it's um, trying too hard. Yeah. I mean, like it, it just feels like some like weird uh, amalgam of John Carpenter and James Cameron and like some like offbeat comedy film just like fell through a time warp and it showed up and it's awesome. Like, and it's just a, just like, it's a movie that only exists to be entertaining. It has a great score. Like a check your brain at the door. But no, I mean, it's a smart movie that just only wants to make you feel happy. And especially if you grew up with the type of movies that I think Stuart and Elliot and I grew up enjoying, like it's it'll hit that sweet spot for Disney you. Disney movies, but it also like uh, pornos. <laughs> but it also really worked for my, my my wife went and saw it with me too, and she doesn't necessarily give a shit about like John Carpenter movies or yeah. love super violent sh- stuff. But she really liked this movie, in no smart mm. small part probably because Dan Stevens is so charming in it. Even though he's a total sociopath in the movie, he is also totally hot and funny, bulked up and slimmed down. Yeah, yep, bulked so, down and uh, slimmed up. I just really, really liked the so guest. The yeah, guest. yeah, I can't wait to see it. So, Stu, what wish you got? I could have seen it with you. Um, I have a relatively quick recommendation. I'm going to recommend a total psychological mind bender, Whoa. a real thriller of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to recommend called Talking Cat. <laughs> 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 it will uh, break you down. Um, now, I am uh, going to recommend the movie Enemy from last year. Uh, directed by a guy, Anima. a I'm assuming French Canadian guy whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce. Who the guy who directed? Uh, Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that gentleman who directed Prisoners, another movie I recommended. Uh, a movie I recommended in large part because of the atmosphere. I mean, uh, yeah, not necessarily such a great, not a great story. Story, yeah, but no, the, but the acting was, and the directing is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this movie uh, kind of carries that on. It's uh, it's kind of a passion project for his, uh, a passion project that he kind of made using the credibility he got from prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does feature Jake Gyllenhaal. So if you like Jake Gyllenhaal, this movie features a metric fuck ton of Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> You'll get your fillin' hall of Jill and Hall. Thanks, Dan. Uh, so Dan, why I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go oh, right, too. You're terrible. <laughs> I'm not going to go too into the plot of the movie. It's a movie that I feel is going to either get a one star or a ten star review from folks. Um, hmm, a real um, uh, only God forgives. Yeah, in a way, I feel like it is to it is to prisoners what only God forgives is to drive. Hmm. Um, so it, it carries on a lot of the same atmosphere that you get out of, uh, prisoners and some great performances, but it makes it, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit out there, I guess. Or you, if you'll watch it, you'll be like, this is total garbage. I hate this. Stuart's a moron, which is possible. <laughs> so uh, three so solid recommendations. Some contentious re- recommendations. Stuart seemed to lose faith in his own recommendation about halfway through. I think it's great, but I'll understand I, if you don't. I can understand. It's kind of like Prometheus. Yeah, yeah I've, I've <laughs> felt that way about movies I recommended where it's like, I love this, but I totally get why someone else would hate this. Yeah. 
But I, I'm... I'm not going to fight you, bro, if you don't like it. Exactly. Sure. We did, can still be blood brothers. Look, Stuart's confidence and self-esteem are not resting on whether you like this fucking movie, okay? Yeah. So eat, just back off. Eat a dick. That said, though, I <laughs> But mean, just one, because that's all you're worth. I've often... Wow. <laughs> Rose said, that's for Grandma. It's in the audience. <laughs> I've often found that uh, when choosing a movie, like the most interesting movies that I've seen have often been ones that super split critics. Like, you get people who absolutely adore it or hate it the most, and that means that the movie's interesting. Going back to the earlier letter on the episode about talking about the middle ground versus the outliers. It's true, but every now and then there is a movie that everybody loves. What a solid episode of the podcast. It's not like, oh, everybody loves that movie. It must be a piece of crap. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. Recently, I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy like everyone else in the fucking known universe. I haven't gotten to see it. Yeah, because you're you're a human and you like things that touch. Two ears and a heart, as Alec Baldwin said on Thirty Rock. (laughs) Uh, But I feel like Snowpiercer on some level was that way. Like a lot of people were kind of divided on that. People could either buy into it and love it, or they just couldn't buy into it. And the people that didn't like it just didn't seem to post on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. So that's why it has such a good score. Ten wormy boners. <laughs> ten, uh, they they don't merit ten of those because no piercer's not that bad. Well, no, it's only because that's what those nutrient bars are made out of. <laughs> wormy boners, they delicious. Grind up wormy boners. Yeah. Now, Elliot, what do those look like? I think that's the key question. Oh boy. Well, let me just mention nutrient bars. I mean, <laughs> oh, let's get out of here. Oh, anyway, another uh, small timber comes to an end. Small timber. <laughs> sure. Another, as if there is ever another. As the as the elders sit around the hearth, <laughs> thousands only, of years from now, they'll be telling the younglings about the first small timber. The most as recent it has small for timber. Ages uncounted many. and millennia untold, <laughs> man put small timber to rest in its <laughs> cask of ancient winters, <laughs> not to be reopened for another year. Ah, the dance of small timber has gone on for more life than the rise than a man of the harvest moon. <laughs> it would take two more fingers than all the living men combined <laughs> possess to count the years of small timber. But some say small timber predates humanity itself, <laughs> that the angels brought it down from heaven. But beware the howling of the winter wolf, for that means that Shocktober is on the horizon and now, small vember shall rest in a shallow grave. They say Shocktember is the curse visited upon <laughs> humanity Wait, for his hubris. Shocktember is the worst month. <laughs> That's for a year that has a Shocktember that pushes those two things together. That's only leap years. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. I heard I heard a story of a man who saw a shock timber once, but who could believe him? Such a thing would be an abomination. <laughs> All right. <laughs> ah, stop telling us about shock timber, old man. It's just an old wives' tale. I saw it. I swear. I saw a small timber and a shock timber had a baby. Go up to that old cabin. You'll see a shock timber. <laughs> They said it could survive in this world. We're going to have a party up there. (laughs) We're going to drink and have sex and probably push someone in a lake. (laughs) Put something in a hole. (laughs) Right. Well, you'll uh, see. You'll see. My father. Shark Timber holds the lake sacred. Okay. Well, <laughs> we gotta close the door on this thing. Sometime. Leave not your used condoms around Shark Timber's altar, or a horrid curse ye shall be. He doesn't agree with normal style birth control. <laughs> All right. Well. Normal style. 
for the flop house, I've been Dan McCoy. You see, a shocktumber is sterile. <laughs> you, uh, a shocktumber. <laughs> a shocktumber Hulk a is a mighty beast. A shocktumber can mate, but the shocktumber is sterile. You know, and Elliot's the one who's always talking about getting home to his baby, and yeah. yet he drags out the finish. So, uh. I've been Dan McCoy. <laughs> that passive aggressive response was from Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. <laughs> and I am shamed and, and apologetic. Elliot Kalen. Okay. Good night, everyone. Small Vember. <laughs> no, Timber. Timber. Timber! <laughs> a proper cup of coffee from a proper copper coffee pot. Topeka Bodega doing it and doing it and doing it well <laughs> <laughs> what's your man got to do with me <laughs> I've got a man I ain't trying to hear that see <laughs> <laughs> right. Makes me want to shoop, shoop a dupe, shoop a dupe, a dupe, a dupe. They took my rings, they took my Rolex. I looked to my homies and said, damn, what's next? Regulators round up. It was a clear black night, a bright white moon.